welcome. This is uh, Cliff Baum in another episode of Mental Health Warrior. I'm super excited today. As you can see, we got guests on again. Uh, we've been filming guests the last couple of weeks. And so I'm honored to have Trigger Joe from Veterans Trash Talk. You know him. And then uh, Rachel, um, she's another guest. She has an amazing story. Uh, and as she talks and it goes on, I'll share a link to an article that was done on her in New York. And I hope she talks about that article. It's a very moving article that she had. And she's she's had a you know a, a wonderful. Were you in the reserves for twenty years? I was. I yes. yes I was yes. In, in the reserves uh, almost at twenty one years. Twenty one years. Okay. Yeah, I was uh, <laughs> Army National Guard Title Ten, thirty four years. And three days and twenty seven hours. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Fifteen seconds. <laughs> mm-hmm. And everybody knows that uh, uh, Kevin up there in the corner. I don't know if you're showing your picture right now, but. Uh, he's the guy behind the scenes that, that makes I'm everything here. work and puts it all together. So I really appreciate his hard help. A- well, AKA my consigliere. That's it. I love that. Ke- Kev's, yeah. Kev's my right hand, man. I wouldn't yeah. know what to do without him. Uh, f- Thanks for having I- us though, Cliff. This is, this is, uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you, you know, that you're doing this and, um, it's like, a, it's kind of a, like, you know, Kevin and I talked about, it, like it's the common cold PTSD. There's no cure for it. No. Um, there's a way of managing the symptoms and, and you've chosen, uh, you know, th- to make this your mission and it's something that needs to be talked about. So I think you're a great advocate for it. So I'm, I'm really proud to be here. So thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And, you know, just as in my show, Rachel, there's a dog in the house. <laughs> I didn't know if you knew that. I didn't know so, that was your dog or just wandered yes. in. So the, the so first, I, the first time that we, Kevin and I did a, a filming, I didn't know he had dogs. And so as we're, doing the first podcast i see his chair in the back it's moving it's you know it's moving and i'm like man kevin's house haunted or something i couldn't figure out why the chair kept moving because he was sitting just right i couldn't see the dog uh so that was kind of funny but that now i know i say that when you're the celtic water you have to have a haunted house or else you're not really scottish so yes <laughs> We are haunted in the Travers family. We, we don't talk about haunted houses in my house because my wife would literally pick up and move that day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she will have no part of that. So, but hey, I, I appreciate it. What I'd, I'd like to do to kind of kick things off, um, you know, Joe and Rachel, I, I'd like for you guys to uh, tell a little bit of your story uh, that you have uh, of your life and things. And, and we all know my story. I spent the first three podcasts talking about you know, how I was growing up as a kid, I had a, grew up on a farm, you know, uh, Rachel, I'm a little jealous about where you live at in Oklahoma, kind of out there in the middle of nowhere, right? I will soon be like that. Uh, my wife's going to retire in a couple of years. And, you know, it's funny, I was telling the realtor, because we're looking at properties in Missouri, that's where I'm from, the Ozarks. And I said, if I go to the end of my driveway by the road, and a car comes by in 20 minutes, I'm not far enough out. So I just want to move farther out, because I've been in DC area for 20 years. So, um, you know, not that it's bad to be around people i just don't want to be around people um and so your, your property sounds really really pretty and really nice the way you described it in the article i appreciate that um, i remember that song um was real popular when i <clears throat> when i bought this place you know i bought it sight unseen i was still overseas in iraq when i purchased huh. it um and it was forty five thousand forty thousand around there um and i just you know had some money saved up and i just paid cash for it i had never seen it before um since then of course it's needed a roof and about fourteen thousand other things and so um and it's in a place where it's just a difficult place to live mother nature does not want us to be here she tries to kick us out every single day with different things and uh, and so it's hard on the house too so 
so now it, it I have a little bit of a loan left on it but um but yeah it was um you know when I was on my way at that song Boston has in you guys remember it oh well anyway it was I can't Can remember you sing a few bars please I think, yeah I think, no. I think we need some <laughs> singing yeah name that Augustana. Tune. you can look it up on your own Augustana um anyway I would sing that only I would my the town I live in is named Roston um, but the words are, I think I'll go to Boston. I think I'll create a new name, um, you know, and it was just really about recreating yourself. Um, and I would just sing it, you know, really loud only. I traded the name Boston for Roston. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's your home now. That's your sanctuary. That's, yes. that's uh, you know, what your place of peace. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's one thing, and, and Joe was talking about, you know, with PTSD, you got to learn how to deal with your triggers. And one of my goals with this show and this podcast and having people come on and talk is, you know, you got to have different tools in your toolbox, right? Because not one thing's going to fit, not one thing's going to help you get through the day. It's going to be multiple things, you know, and, and I, and I talk about that, you know, I, I talk about hunting the good stuff, you know, thinking about three good things, you know, that military resiliency training class, we, we get taught that if you've been in the military. Um, I ran that program for TRADOC for a lot of years. I believe in that program. Sadly, I think that program's just become a check in the blocks training for a lot of soldiers that don't pay attention to it anymore and take it to heart. Uh, but that happens in a lot of military, right? A lot of training in the military that that goes forward. But you know, you know, and, and and you know, it's tough because when people ask me about PTSD and how to describe it, right? It's kind of hard. So this is what I tell them. If you can think back to the most vivid dream you've ever had in your life. The most realistic, it doesn't have to be about traumatic event, just anything. If you're laying in bed and dreaming, you wake up the next morning, you say, oh my God, that was just a phenomenal dream or whatever. That's PTSD. The problem is, is that dream can come back to you and you relive that event in a second, right? So a, a stick could snap, you know, or to me, it smells uh, mm -hmm. all the worse. You know, it's 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 a whole combination of things. And, and so you have to learn how to deal with that. And yeah, I, I talk about PTSD. I wrote an article about being like a, a, a sniper, right? Because it's in your mind and they hide back there in the background and it never comes out when good things are going on, right? And so it's just kind of lurking there in the dark. I wrote an article on this for Rally Point. And, you know, when things start getting bad, that's usually when it jumps in, right? And then you have to learn how to deal with it. Um, and so it's, it's tough and it's hard and it's not easy. And sometimes you have to go cry in a closet or I go out behind the woods in my house and scream at trees. You know, I, I just, I have to do something to get that out. Uh, you know, whatever it is at Cliff, that moment. Yes, sir. I, I, you know, I just, I got to touch on, I don't know if it happened this morning for a reason because I was coming here. Um, but you're talking and my heart's racing. Like I'm starting to, I'm feeling it come back. Cause I had, because, um, this morning I was just, I was talking to my wife and I was talking about coming on here and I just started to describe PTSD to her and how when, and I talked to Kevin earlier about this, when, when people talk about uh, PTSD and it, you hear it a lot with, well, how do you defeat that? And it's like, well, that's not really the proper mindset to have with it. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 you're never going to get rid of it. Yeah. And the sooner you accept that, the, the quicker you can deal with it. Um, but like my wife, she was a surgical tech. She thinks like the inside of the human body is 
fascinating and she I have a completely different viewpoint of it because I've seen I mean torn is the only word that I can use to describe it human bodies torn in a way that's not supposed to happen in a way that you're not supposed to see and uh, you're not trained to see that you see it and um, it's almost like a childlike in the in the in the initial like a childlike um, mentality that you take on where it's just like well that's weird and you just move past it yeah. like like you know like it's everybody's accepting it and it's normal for the moment yeah and then you know you, you go out um, I was talking about when we got put out in Bakuba. And I was saying how the nights that we were there, because we were there for two weeks and everybody knew we were there and we were by ourselves. It was a platoon of us. David had been shot the first morning, bled like a zombie for a week because he refused medevac because he knew he wouldn't come back. Uh, And I remember telling my wife, and this is this morning, um, it was the nights where you're sitting there saying, man, just don't let it come when I'm sleeping because it's coming. They know we're here. We're by ourselves. Yeah. And when you tighten someone's screws that hard to where a leaf falls and I'm sitting up and I'm getting ready to put my kid on, it's so hard to loosen those screws again. Yeah. Because you go over there and you become hardened and it becomes calcified and, and they and they stay in place for so long that um Sleep, it was sleep was not a fun thing for me for a long time. Yeah, it wasn't restful. Yeah, I knew there, there was a heart racing moment coming, uh, a few times a week. Yeah, because that's how they mortared us. Yeah, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd get mortared every single night. So yeah. there was no, when, when you go, it's, it, it, I, I assimilated it to poking a dog with a stick for 15 months and then letting it out. And, and that's what coming home is like. And that's what you feel like. You know, you feel like a fucking escaped gorilla from the zoo because everyone's, you know, got the got the stare. And it's a really hard stigma to deal with in the beginning, especially if you're as immature as I was. Um, It's crazy. I had to it took a long time to sculpt the way I deal with it. It's an everyday fight. Rachel's been there with me. Kevin's been there with me. Mm -hmm. It's an everyday thing and it can jump up whenever. Um, it's scary when you think about how many people are going about it without hearing the advice that you have to give or, or going through some kind of training or EMDR like Rachel preaches or something. If they're just going through it blind, you can't win. And, you know, like you, I I went through it, you know, back when I had my issues in the military, you didn't talk about it, you know, so I didn't talk about it to anybody, you know, and it damn near cost me my life. You know, I got as close as to completing suicide as you can without completing. I mean, let's face it, if my brother wouldn't have found me, I wouldn't be sitting here. But nights, nights were, you know, because when I was in Iraq, you know, I ran shops at night. So we worked on helicopters at the hangars and I was in charge of all 74 guys at night. Well, like you said, they usually mortared us there in Balad at night. You know, we didn't get mortared much during the day, you know. So uh, for me, sleeping is the same with you. I, I, I don't know. It's probably been what last. So I, well, I've been going to the Intrepid Center because I have a TBI. Uh, I don't talk about that a lot, um, but um, and they really 
holistically have made me to the point where after all this time, and I came back from deployment in 08, that I finally started sleeping more than four hours a night. Uh, you know, now I sleep six and a half and eight hours. And I, I this is, it, it's really odd. I don't sleep like that every night, but I would say it's getting better with each night that I, I sleep better. And we know that if you don't have proper sleep, that it leads into to other things. And, and Joe, I, 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 I feel your pain when you talk. And I know it's, it's, it's a hard thing to talk about. I go out and do speaking events and I got the podcast and, and I don't know what well, the podcast I more so talk about good things, but I'm doing speaking events. I'm not talking about mostly the happy go luckiest time in my life. I'm talking about the reason why you had me to come there. And it takes a toll on me, both mentally and physically. And I know that yeah. um, September is a busy time with me with suicide prevention month. And, and I just, you're going over and over and over, just like with PTSD, it runs in your mind over and over and over again. But now it's going over and over in my mind, and I'm talking about it over and over and over and over, which can be th- therapeutic to a point. Um, and I had to learn just to, to stand back and and take a break for myself because that's something that when I was doing a lot of speaking events, I didn't didn't do. And what made me realize that is I went to Korea in 2019 at the the end of 2019 before COVID hit, and I did 16 events in five days. And I was so mentally and physically exhausted by the time I got home. I said, I can never do that again. I, I can't do that to myself. But I was just so driven to help people that I forgot to help myself. Right. And sometimes we get that. We get that way. Uh, and then you feel guilty about it. Like, well, why am I feeling this way? I shouldn't feel this way. And it, that's that's that was the hardest thing for me to accept is knowing that it was OK for me to feel that way and not feel guilty to feel that way. Yeah. And that's a tough and, pill to swallow. Yeah. It, it, it's hard as, uh, you know, and not to, not to be chauvinistic, but, um, I'm, no. I was raised old school and I, I believe it's my job to take care of yeah. my wife and kids. And, uh, when you're not doing that, um, you know, your, 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 your assumption of yourself as a man starts to go down a little bit because, um, that's what you were taught you should do. Yeah. And it's really hard to know when is the right time to take care of me and when is it okay because you feel like I, I'm wasting time here. I could be doing this. There's all the, you know, because you, when you run a house and you got two kids that live full time and then one that lives 700 miles away and you, yeah. you're dealing with that and everything else, it, it, it stacks up. And um, that's another thing about PTSD that I was talking about this morning is, it's not something that you get to say, I'm not going to deal with. Yeah. You don't, you, you don't have the luxury of that. It's, it's like yeah. being a little kid and they tell you to clean your room, you push everything to the corner for a year. Yeah. Show it into your bed. And then all of a sudden they show up and make you really clean your room. And it's mm-hmm. like an avalanche. It's the same, same deal. I often refer Just, to it uh, <laughs> similarly. I, I would talk about, uh, it's a little like going to a restaurant every single night. And then bringing home to-go meals, you know, because you didn't finish it. And then stuffing them in your your refrigerator. And you keep stuffing and you keep stuffing and you keep stuffing. And then one day when you're having a party, uh, because it never, never, never comes at a really great time. It's just always when you're standing there at the bank. And, you know, uh, it's like happened to me. I, I was just barely home. I went to the bank and there was a kill facility um that was that uh, you know a butcher facility that's right here in my town 
And so I'm standing in the bank and a guy who must have, you know, been working that morning, uh, they always do kills first thing in the morning and he had mm-hmm. blood all over his jeans. And, um, and I, and I think for me, what happens and, and all of a sudden I just, I became incredibly enraged at this guy for sh- showing up with blood on his jeans. I, yeah. I, yeah. I judged it of course. And I thought, what is wrong with that guy? But nobody else had that, you know, I think the, the part of that, that makes you feel the way you do is, is uh, that you're so different. You're so totally different than the rest of the population. But I think for me, what it did was it was, it was quiet and, and it made, it makes you replay the, the tape. So there's the tape and, and it's in you. And then it's like, without, you don't get to, you don't get a memo. It's, it, you know, it just, it just plays. And, uh, and so then you, you, you get to see it again. And, uh, you know, by then I'm shaking, I'm just shaking, standing in line and then all the way to work, I, I'm just exhausted. It's, it's in a matter of like two or three minutes, I'm completely feel like I have run a half marathon. And, um, and so then I'm on my way to work and then I'm there, I'm, I'm still there. And so I'm driving, you know, in these, in these, you know, like long, I drive an hour to work every single day. And I'm, and now I'm, I'm thinking, you know, it would be just so terribly easy for somebody to put an IED out here on these roads. Mm -hmm. Um, And so little things like that, you know, but I'm like, you smells will do it to me. They were, you know, they were cooking uh, fried chicken when I, you know, when I was walking into that, uh, that chow hall door, just barely walking in there. And, and so the first thing, you know, before I even got to the door, you know, was the smell of fried chicken. So I, you know, I mean, that'll kind of take me there and play the tape. But now I, I know it when I know it just on the front end, I know it. And I have been working really hard to, um, to not resist it, to, to see it. Um, I've said it over and over again as kind of a holy guest. And, um, and in that way, ask it what it's here to teach me. So each time I see the, I see, I re-see something, I go ahead and I, and I let myself do that. Um, even if it's only for 30 seconds um, and the, and the, the, when I don't resist, um, it takes less time when I'm resisting, it takes, it takes more That's time because point. I'm involving my energy in the resisting of it. When I just go ahead and say, oh, it's you and talk to it a little bit and look at it almost like it's a um, a museum exhibit and kind of with curiosity um and that takes practice i i have really had to meditate my way to to just welcoming it it is another part of us like you said joe it is a part of us Mm -hmm. it's now a part we stood we chose to stand in the gap in whatever way we did each one of us very differently and um and now it's a part of us, um, and and probably even harder is sometimes than than that particular trauma was another trauma that layered on top of my trauma, and that was our fires out here um, in western Oklahoma. You know that was a that created a much more I think open reaction. Um, and I'm not sure why that is. Maybe it's my catalyst for. For the all of the reactions that I should have been having, you know, when I was still even overseas, because this happened 
in uh, 2004. And, you know, I don't know. I, I really stuffed the heck out of that. Yeah. So yeah. Maybe that's a fire. Go ahead. Uh, excuse me. I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I was just going to, uh, as we say on our show, caveat off what you said. Uh, fire is um, one that's very powerful for me because I would say the closest they came to um, getting at least me um, wasn't the night I got my purple heart. It was when they put, they put an incinerary IED and they buried it at the wrong distance. Um, but it put a mushroom cloud. It was meant to burn me alive. I was the lead truck gunner. Yeah. And it put a mushroom cloud in between the first and second truck of fire. Cause it was doused in a, some kind of accelerant. And, um, they all thought we were goners, the trucks behind us. They couldn't see us. Yeah. And all I remember is I was like, I know the skin on the back of my neck is burning. I remember how hot the heat was from it. And it did none of the fire even got us. That's how, and I remember that heat from it. And then I looked up and there's a herd of goats. And our driver was like hesitant. And I remember, <clears throat> excuse me. I remember picking my foot up and kicking them going floor it. I don't care how many fucking goats you hit. Like our trucks yeah. been hit. We're leaking all over the place. I don't know if I'm, I haven't even checked myself out yet. And um, I was a power lineman when I came home. And when I had not dealt with any PTSD, I was in a horrible relationship, um, drinking pain pills, mm-hmm. all that. And uh, one of the guys that went up in the bucket crossed two phases and if anybody's seen a primary flash anybody seen primary voltage flash before yep because you know how violent it is and and that whoop when it first hits yep well i was standing underneath it and all i remember is the back of my neck i thought man my skin's melted and uh man um damn that that one still fucking rattles me um i had to go sit in the truck for like an hour I couldn't, I couldn't pull my shit together Yeah, because it was so loud and so violent and mimicked the awesomeness of the power of an IED so quickly. And I wasn't ready. There was no fucking warning. It was so fast. Excuse my language. I don't know if you guys cuss on the show. Yeah, we cuss on my show. Never, uh, never. I never, never, never cuss. You know but, that. Uh, <laughs> my mother hates it. Um, but um, yeah, no, I remember sitting there and I was in a place where there were no veterans. I was the yeah. youngest guy yeah. on the crew. None of them yeah. even understood the war that we were in. Yeah. None of them understood what I was going through in that moment, except one. There was one saving grace that I had. And uh, his name is Ricky Funderburg. I'll never forget him. He was a scout sniper. He was in the same theater with Chris Kyle. Um, he's a bad dude. He was, a, it was also a lineman there. And, uh, he came to me and told me, he said, he goes, Hey man, I, 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 he goes, just know, I love you. You're like a brother to me. He goes, but you keep this up. You're going to lose all the good people in your life. Eventually they're going to get tired. You're going to have to start fighting for yourself because right now people are going to start walking away from you. And, and, and that was when I was a power lineman there. And I mean, I was bad. I was, it's amazing. I survived that year. I, I did not, place a whole lot of value on my life and take care of anything. Um, but I got into a PTSD inpatient PTSD program 
Ricky said it saved his life. I say the same thing about mine. Um, that experience at the VA, uh, for veterans out there that aren't using the VA, it is a tiring process, but the help is there. If you can stand the phone calls, the wherewithal and going through it, if you can kick 50 doors that say no to hear one yes, you will get where you need to get with the VA. It's just persistence. But I got in that program, and I remember sitting there thinking, like, the guy, oh, the guy told me he, I was, I had to write a trauma account about my worst day over there. And the doctor was kind of, he was kind of effeminate. Yeah. He was a little guy. And uh, I just didn't respect him as a man to tell me to go there. I'm like, I'm not doing that for you. No. Yeah. I was like, you don't understand. And uh, he eventually called me in his office and he said, look, I understand this is difficult for you, but I didn't come knocking on your door. You came knocking on mine. Yeah. This is where the program stops for you. If you don't do it, that's my final offer. And after that, man, I towed the line and respected him. I went back to being a good soldier, mm -hmm. but it was, I, I, you know, he let me know in that moment, like, this is where the program's over for you. Pack your bags or you're doing it. So I you know, did it. And then we had a actual uh, funeral because you never have a funeral for anybody over there. Yeah. Not, not a proper one. Right. Or at least where we were at, we didn't get that luxury of, of doing it. And uh, a luxury. But I'm saying you, we didn't say goodbye in that manner. It was just go back and get some um, yeah. because they took one of yours. And you, you deal with that later down the road, mm -hmm. um, the mourning part. Um, but when I went and did this funeral for the guys we lost over there, I sat in front of a room full of veterans in a church, like mm -hmm. we were doing a funeral, and, and gave a speech a eulogy for each guy. And uh, I'll never forget that moment. It was one of the most humbling experiences. I, I, I cried through the whole fucking thing. Mm -hmm. Then they took me to Arlington and I got to go see Justin Rollins who, who died on March 5th. And I hadn't been near his body since. Mm -hmm. And uh, just an unbelievable program. I, I, I did not get I went into it with an open mind saying, I'm going to go in and get everything they have to offer out of this because I'm here. Yeah. And I did. And it probably saved me in that moment. Yeah. You know, the fight's not over, but it meant the tools I got from that were incredible. Uh, I, the survivor's guilt was uh, crippling. It was killing me. And that, yeah. that one, that that's the program that helped me to deal with that phase of this. So it's a step-by-step -step process. And it is like Rachel says, a lot of work. Yeah. You know, that's what I dealt with after, you know, nine 11 and, and being in the Pentagon for the 18 hours and crawling all over. I say stuff, but I'm crawling over pieces of people, uh, you know, and going in and guys standing outside the building in case the building collapsed because there's nobody else in there. And he had kids. I, I didn't have anybody at that time. So, I would go in and if it collapsed, he would just tell them where I was at the, the, you know, the FEMA high rescue team. Cause that was the only people that were there and, and not to get too graphic, but, but the thing that, that messed with me the most in the Pentagon is when I would go, when the plane hit and the nose detached and act like a missile going through. Right. Well, when you go and that part of the Pentagon was the part that was renovated. Right. So it had the bomb proof glass pros and cons to that because when the plane hit if it didn't explode the glass i made the blast go left and right triggering event here when you go up to the upper levels 
there were people who were deceased, but they were laying on the ground covering their head, you know, because something happened, but all the oxygen got sucked out of the room. Then there were officers that would go into and their people, their skin was kind of waxy. They had no idea what happened. You know, they would just kill instantly. And that to this day, that 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 messes with me uh, completely, you know, um, and we, we were there, you know, 9-11, I was there and then I went back on the 12th and I was there until early morning of the 13th after they carried the bodies out is when we left, uh, you know, and I'll never I mean, I can picture everything right now to the minus detail of the time of the clock floating in the water as I'm going down the corridor to head to the backside of the Pentagon, you know, and it's, it's, it's tough. And when I went into my depression of that survivor's guilt, you know, Joe, I imagine being able to finally mourn your friends or have that, that funeral to you probably felt like a big weight being lifted off your chest. Right. And, and, you know, and, and because there's a lot of studies that have said, we need to allow these soldiers to mourn the loss of their, their buddies, their teammates, the, whomever, and they didn't let him do that. And you guys just carried on. You carry the weight and that guilt with you. You never had that closure. 